Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Welcome this morning to Anchor Church. I'm so glad that we get to spend some time together having conversations, having discussions, and looking at some of the big questions in life. That's what we're doing now. We're starting a new series called Finding Faith. This series came out of a time when I had some friends and some family members that were asking big questions, that had doubt in their own heart, that wondered whether or not they could believe rationally in a modern sense or even a postmodern sense in the existence of of God and we started having these conversations and out of that conversation came this discussion that I'd love to start with you and everybody watching today. So we're starting a brand new series called Finding Faith and today I want to talk to you about the existence of something. Why does something exist rather than nothing? In the series we're going to ask if a good God exists then why do bad things happen? Can we really believe in miracles? What about evolution and all of those theories? What, what, what do we do with the claims of this historical person called Jesus? These are the questions that many of us have asked or at least encountered that we've discussed online or with friends or with family members. And so we're going to look at some of these, particularly at the main objections that people have against the faith or against faith in general, or against Christianity. So if you know some people, and I bet that you do, that have objections to believing in a creator, in a God, then maybe just invite them right now. Just send them this link afterwards. Just do what you can to share this message and begin the conversation. Because when we talk about truth, truth isn't afraid of conversation. We, we can have a discussion because we're not threatened by the views of others. We get to discuss and be open and, uh, and allow truth to speak for itself. A lot of people have reasons for their doubt, and we're going to take a good hard look at some of those reasons and some of those questions. Now, before I begin, let me say that there are two main ways or two main kinds of questions that people have or two main ways to, to present a question. The first one is when you ask a question with no intention to actually hear the answer. You're simply justifying your own position or you are trying to challenge for the sake of challenging. And this is really how the Pharisees questioned Jesus. They weren't there to learn. They weren't there to hear. They were there to challenge because they had already made their mind up about what they think or who they thought Jesus was and what they think was happening in that situation. That's a terrible way to go about reasoning to begin with a conclusion. Rather, what we want to do in this series is that we want to be like Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus. He was a Pharisee, but we see in John 3 how he comes to Jesus and he asks with a heart that searches after knowledge, a heart that's open, a mind that is pliable and willing to hear what the answer was. And so to really learn, we have to be humble and we have to come before these questions, admitting that we don't have it figured out, it all figured out, that we don't know everything, that in all the knowledge that exists in the universe, we probably know less than 0.001% of it personally. And so in the other 99.999%, there may be some things that we have to learn. 
Even the scientific disciplines themselves are often at ends with one another. And within different fields of science, you have differing views and differing beliefs, different hypotheses and things that are researched. And so there's still so much that we don't know. This series is not about Jesus versus science. We believe that Jesus is the author of science, that God is the ultimate mathematician, and that he's the one that designed everything in this way. Some of the greatest scientists also believe in God as the author of science and the creator of all things. And so we're not just simply here to assert scriptures incorrectly into the scientific debate. We're here to see about what is true and what we can defer from the world around us. Now, I have to say that in leading this series, I'm not a scientist, a trained scientist or a geophysicist or a, you know, astrophysicist or a chemist. I know a lot of great Christian uh, Christians in each of those fields, but my formal studies are limited to social sciences, to anthropology and theology. Um, and as uh, a young believer, I wrote for a magazine and did an apologetics column that people were able to ask questions for. But in saying all of those things, you are free to check up on any of the facts that I share and, uh, and to let me know if you disagree. This is a question not of Jesus versus science, but of creationism versus naturalism. With modern writings, the modern writings of Darwin and Freud and Marx and Huxley, um, we developed over time a worldview that specifically chooses to exclude God at the outset, that rules out the possibility of an intelligent designer or creator that could potentially have put all things into motion. And what we were left with is moving from the classic equation of reality that says that there is God, humankind, and the physical organic environment, and then removed God to simply say that all that exists is man and the physical organic environment. And this is what we mean when we speak about naturalism, that all that there is, is what is natural and that there is nothing supernatural or nothing above that. And, and what was created or what came along as a result of that was this form of new atheism, which we find in our world today, not just people that say, I don't believe there's a God or agnostics that say, I don't know if there's a God, but actually people that say that they are against faith. They are militant in their, in their proclamation against any form of faith, actually viewing faith as a bad thing, something to be removed from the world. And, that, and, and this is something that, that, they, uh, that they lobby for, something that they, that they speak for, that they want um, in our world. G.K. Chesterton, however, said that if there were no God, there would be no atheists, that this is a revolt against something that they feel they need to admit but don't want to. Matt Chandler said that the two tenets of atheism are number one, that there is no God, and number two, I hate him. And so it's interesting to see how angry atheists are about something they claim to not exist. Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist and uh, and the, the author of The God Delusion, the book The God Delusion, he said, I do everything in my power to warn people against faith itself. And so we're in this world where faith is actually seen as a threat to society. As a result, most schools have leaned towards that and started to teach the following. Number one, 
that everything that exists came from nothing. Either it came from nothing or we have no idea where it came from, but it certainly didn't come from God or any kind of a creator. Number two, that the process that brought all living things into being was called a biogenesis, which essentially in really short terms says that there was a planet, it rained on our planet, it rained on the planet for millions of years, creating some sort of a muddy primordial soup. There were amino acids in that soup that are the building blocks, the, you know, the basic forms of proteins. These amino acids somehow evolved into proteins that somehow evolved into a single cell organism that somehow evolved into a living thing that then grew into a different species or over time evolved um, into animals and life. And everything that we had came from that primordial soup, those amino acids just developing by themselves. The chances of that happening are literally zero, scientifically speaking, mathematically speaking, but yet they hold fast to that. And then the third part of what is taught in schools is that from there, everything evolved. So evolution accounts for the diversity in all natural things and in all species across the globe. And essentially that's how everything came to be. They cannot tell us where the, where the planet came from though, even if they believe in the Big Bang and everything growing from a single uh, spot of mass and growing over time, billions of years, they still can't tell us where the dot that expanded came from. And so they still don't have those answers. But begin with the premise that it certainly cannot be God, that God does not exist. And they try and answer these questions about life and origin from that premise. But I remember being on a group started by atheists that was trying to deconstruct the notion that faith is something viable in our world and the group was called F Jesus Christ. It was a Facebook group uh, years ago. And uh, I joined that group along with several other pastors to engage in meaningful conversation with the people that were in that group. And one of the things I asked um, these guys, just in honesty, was you can tell me how the process or the theory of how something went from being inanimate to being an animate object. In other words, coming to life. But can you tell me what the exact point was and where life came from. No matter what we can do uh, scientifically, no matter how much technology we develop, we still cannot take something that is inanimate, that doesn't have life, and give it life. So where does life come from? And he avoided my question for a little while and then eventually just said, we don't know. We simply don't know where life comes from. And that is true for every scientific field, no matter how many hypotheses they have put forward. If you look at how little we truly know, how little we know about even just the ocean floor or about the center of the sun or about all the different aspects of the history of, of how the world came to be or the clouds of Jupiter or how much we are yet to, to discover, is there perhaps an argument for the existence of God that we haven't yet looked at? The first question that I want to look at today is why does something exist rather than nothing? Why is anything here at all? Why are you there today watching this? Why is there a sky? Why is there a universe? Why are there stars? Why is there ground beneath your feet right now? 
the basic question of existence. Why are we here? Why is anything here? And we do not ask that question. It's not that the Bible raises that question. It's not that we are going around looking for questions to ask. Our very existence raises the question. We're here. Why are we here? (laughs) That's what raises the question. And there are four possible answers that I want to look at today as to how reality and everything that we experience came to be. The first one is that reality is an illusion, that it isn't really there, but that we just perceive it to be there through some sort of a deception that we are caught up in. Reality isn't real, it's an illusion. The second one is that reality is or was self-created, that spontaneous generation took place and reality created itself. The third one is that reality is self-existent, that it's always existed, It was never created, but things have just always gone on and one thing has moved another thing all the way back into eternity with no beginning. The fourth one is that reality was created by something that is itself self-existent. So let's look at number one, reality is an illusion. This is the basic premise of most Eastern religions that believe that the material world that we live in is an illusion and something that that is to be escaped, something that we need to understand. All of a sudden, when you begin to understand that all of this around us is an illusion and isn't really there, you get released from it in a moment of nirvana. That's the basic idea of Eastern religion, the material world, is something which must be escaped. Philosophically, however, this was ruled out by the French philosopher René Descartes. Uh, Many years ago, René Descartes was a student. His main writings were around the area of epistemology. Epistemology is the philosophy of knowledge. What can we really know? And so he posited different theories about what we know. And he said, in one case, we could all be sleeping right now and everything that we've experienced or that we thought we were experiencing could have been a dream. Something like inception that you're going to wake up from in a little while. Secondly, he said that we could all have been deceived by some sort of a program or some sort of a force that has taken control of our senses. And ultimately, we're in the matrix. And this is all just a system that we would want to be free from. And so how can we know that anything is real? But Rene Descartes went on to make the famous statement, I think, therefore I am. And people often quote that in in the motivational sense, not really knowing what the origin of that was philosophically. But what Rene Descartes was saying through, I think, therefore I am, is that in order to doubt your existence, you have to exist in order to have the doubt. And therefore, if you think that you may be an illusion and that life is an illusion, you prove thereby that it cannot be. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been around to have the illusion. You can hear how this can be a little bit of inception. But an illusion ultimately requires one to be in order to have it. And so if you're thinking you're not an illusion, you cannot, therefore, doubt your existence without simultaneously proving it. It's a self-defeating argument. And so reality is not an illusion. You are really there. You are really alive. And that's good news for somebody. Maybe just tap the person next to you and just go, thank God I'm alive. I'm really here. It's a self-defeating argument. Number two, reality is self-created. 
Now, this is what you would, in a scientific sense, call analytically false. It's false by nature. The very character of the question is flawed. Because in order to create, you would have to exist. You cannot be prior to yourself. Otherwise, you would not have existed in order to have created. And so something cannot be prior to itself. Some people therefore have posited the idea of spontaneous generation, that things could just come about of their own accord and that something could essentially come from nothing. Something could just appear. But this was again disproven by Louis Pasteur and others who spoke about spontaneous generation. And even though it's been scientifically disproven, it's still the main concept of reality that most scientists have to hold on to in order to deny the existence of a creator. David Hume, for example, the Scottish philosopher and skeptic said, I never asserted so absurd a proposition as that anything might arise from nothing without a cause. Nobel Prize winning evolutionary scientist, Dr. George Wald said, we tell this story to beginning students of biology as though it represents a triumph of reason over mysticism. In fact, it is very nearly the opposite. The reasonable view was to believe in spontaneous generation, the only alternative to believe in a single primary act of supernatural creation. There is no third position. So either there's a supernatural God or creator, or everything just came about by itself. There's no third position. For this reason, many scientists a century ago chose to regard the belief in spontaneous generation as a philosophical necessity. It is a symptom of the philosophical poverty of our time that this necessity is no longer appreciated. Most modern biologists, having reviewed with satisfaction the downfall of the spontaneous generation hypothesis, yet unwilling to accept the alternative belief in special creation, are left with nothing. I think a scientist has no choice but to approach the origin of life through a hypothesis of spontaneous generation. And this was published in an article called The Origin of Life in Scientific American, the journal, the scientific journal. He says it must be accepted philosophically, not scientifically, but philosophically because they don't want to believe in God. So, they believe instead philosophically having faith that nothing created something. This, however, is still faith. In fact, some would say they don't have enough faith to be an atheist, to believe that everything came from nothing rationally requires more faith than to simply believe in an intelligent designer or creator. The evolutionist John Horgan concluded that if he were a creationist today, he would focus on the origin of life because he said this is by far the weakest strut of the chassis of modern biology. The origin of life is a science writer's dream. It abounds with exotic scientists and exotic theories which are never entirely abandoned or accepted, but merely go in and out of fashion. So this is actually why many people have said that atheism is as much a religion as any other religion because it requires belief to believe that something which rationally would be impossible actually happened. So if reality is not an illusion and it also didn't create itself or spontaneously generate, 
We only have two options left. The first one is that reality is self-existent. In other words, it's eternal. It's existed in and of itself and always has. The second one is that reality was created by something self-existent or eternal. So let's look at reality as being self-existent. Is the universe eternal? Something that has just always existed? Well, Newton's first law of motion states, an object remains at rest unless an external force acts upon it. Everything that moves, therefore, was first moved by something else. This is also what Aquinas said. So what moved first? What is the prime mover? What is the ultimate cause in causation? If I, for example, walked out into this spot here in our city today, and I found a chain hanging from the sky, and I looked up to the top of that chain, and no matter how high I looked, it went way too high for me to see where it began. I could make one of two logical conclusions. The first one is that the chain is eternal, that there is no beginning point for this chain hanging in the sky, but one link simply holds up another link for eternity. The second logical conclusion I could make is that somewhere this chain that I can tug on that's real, that's hanging out of the sky, is attached to something that's beyond what I can see. Which one of those two sounds most logical to you? An eternal chain? or a prime cause, a prime mover, something that put everything else into motion that everything else hinges upon. To me, it makes more sense to believe that, that there is something that is hinged, that upon which everything else is hinged. Scientists agree that the universe had a beginning. This has been well documented and well studied and so clearly we already know scientifically that the universe is not eternal. And so we have ruled out scientifically three of those options. The fourth and final one is that reality is created or has been created by something self-existent. With others being refuted, this is beginning to look like our most rational and reasonable conclusion. Jonathan Edwards put it this way, something exists, nothing cannot create something, therefore a necessary and eternal something exists. Here's the logical steps. Something does exist, we all know that. Something cannot come from nothing, therefore a necessary and eternal something must exist. The only two options we had left was eternal creator or eternal creation. But science has disproven eternal creation and therefore there must be an eternal creator. So if it's rational and reasonable to believe in a creator, even if that isn't something that you'd ever considered or believed in before, the very next question is what kind of creator is he? What could we infer about his nature and his character and his being by looking at what he has created? Ultimately, we can understand the cause by looking at the effects. And another scientific law says that the effect can never be greater than the cause. And so if, if nature has a certain way about it, if, if reality looks a certain way, then we can infer some things about the creator or the cause of that nature or of that reality. So here are a, 
here are a few thoughts that we can look at when it comes to inferring something about the Creator by looking at the creation. First of all, He must be supernatural because He created space and time. He must be powerful, incredibly, to be able to put all these things into being. He must be eternal or self-existent because He was Himself not created by anything. He must be omnipresent because if He created space and time, He cannot be limited by either of them. He must be timeless and changeless because He created time. He must be personal because the impersonal cannot create personality and people, creation has personality. He must be both infinite and singular because you cannot have two infinities even though you know, if you're a dad or a mom, you've told your kid, I love you, infinity times two. There is no infinity times two. Infinity can only be times one. And so if he is infinite, he has to also be singular. There's only one God or one creator. He must be diverse and yet have unity because both unity and diversity exist in nature. He must be intelligent supremely because only a cognitive being can produce cognitive beings. He must be purposeful because he deliberately chose to create everything. He must be moral because otherwise no moral law would have been given. And we have a moral law that is in general witnessed by all of humanity. Some things are considered right and some things are considered wrong. And he must be caring because otherwise no moral law would have been given. Which religion that you know of describes such a creator? Eternal, all-powerful, omnipresent, moral, good, and caring. Well, I think you'll find that the God of the Bible perfectly fits this description. So I think you can see that faith stands up against the arguments of naturalism and many of the philosophies of modernism that have got gaping holes in their rationality. We believe that there is a God. We believe that He created all things, and we believe that He has a purpose for your life. And during the course of this series, we hope that you will engage with us as we begin to reveal some of that purpose. Next week, we're gonna look at the presence of evil. If there is a good God, and if we are saying He is moral and good, then why does evil exist in the world? So don't miss out next week. Invite some people to watch with you and engage with us. We're going to be doing in the final part of this series, a Q&A, and I will be answering as many of your questions as possible. So go ahead and put your questions in the comment section right now or email them into us, info at anchorjoburg.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us today. We love you. We believe in you. And we will see you again next Sunday.